evidence, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Wednesday, July 19th. How's everybody doing there? Oh, I forgot to turn on the studio lights. Okay, now we can appropriately live stream on your favorite, maybe not your favorite, I don't know, video platform here. I want to say good evening, wherever you are. When's this rain going to stop? In the Northeast, we're getting rain like every day, like a week. And hold on, we got somebody texting me here. I'm sorry. This is one of those texts I have to do. Alright. So anyway, uh nothing bad happened. Ever have one of those stretches where you have bad day after bad day after bad day after bad day? That's what it's been for like eight days in a row. But you make the best of it. We're resilient. And life goes on. So, uh, OSHA, very busy this week with everything. It's kind of uh, very, uh, I don't know what to say, very exciting. So last night, we did the deep dive into the record-keeping, where specifically the OSHA 300-300A summary and the uh, 301 form, which is uh, basically your accident investigation form. And no, it's kind of, no, we put everything with a screen share and everything else on that. We're going to do that again tonight. Hopefully where it's not going to screw up like it did last week. Hopefully we have enough bandwidth here. I mean, we have a 1G connection, but the problem is, well, two 1G connections. I have one dedicated, my wife does, for this show. So it's, uh, you know, hopefully we're set up. So uh, we talked about the uh, uh, record keeping where with record keeping what we're doing is uh, starting June, uh, January 1st companies over 100 uh, people or more at any time during the year uh, plus they meet a targeted industry I believe that's the word that they're using are uh, must uh, submit the 301 uh, reports and the OSHA is going to uh, be going more and more on uh, getting a, a little bit deeper into what we're doing here, trying to collect more data. 
because um, the uh, summary forms now and everything else you have to keep is just as we've had. This is our TRR rate and the insurance industry says this is the experience modification rate. Now OSHA wants something a little bit more in depth and they're going to make it publicly available. It's going to be part of uh, everything else out there. Uh, now where we are able to look those up like we do with the establishments and everything else with that. Now, uh, today, and I saw this from Abby Ferry. Uh, that's where I got it from. And then I went back to the news releases uh, on OSHA like we always do. And here it is. Department of Labor announces proposed rule to clarify personal protective equipment, that's PPE standard, and ensure the safety of construction industry workers. The action seeks to align construction, general industry, and maritime standards. The U.S. Department of Labor today announced a notice of proposed rulemaking to clarify the PPE standard for the construction industry. The current standard does not state clearly that PPE must fit each affected work employee properly, which the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, General Industry, and Maritime Standards do. The proposed change would clarify that PPE must fit each employee properly to protect them from occupational hazards. I, I would think that that's understood, but I don't know. Or companies out there saying, well, we have somebody the size of Jim and we're going to give him uh, small PPE. Guess what? That happened back in the day on the hazardous waste sites I've been on. And I was like, well, then I guess you're not getting your uh, air monitoring done or your air sampling. And then, you know, they, before you know it, you know, you end up having to bring your own PPE. And I say that that loosely because you would get it from your employer and whenever you go out to these jobs you have your own ppe with us by the way non-alcoholic beer all right the failure of standard size ppe to protect physically smaller construction workers properly i know with the protective suits so it's the first thing that blows out is the butt as well as problems with access to properly fitting PPE have long been safety and health concerns in the construction industry, especially for some women. I'll, we're going to come back to that in a minute here. The proposed rule clarifies the existing requirement, and OSHA does not expect the change will increase employers' costs or compliance burdens. Well, I'll say this much. It will not increase people who are doing the right thing to begin with. Their burdens. The proposed revision would align the, align the language in OSHA's PPE standard for construction with standards for general industry and maritime. If personal protective equipment does not fit properly, this is from uh, Assistant Secretary for Occupational Safety and Health, Doug Parker, an employee may be unprotected or dangerously exposed to hazards and face tragic consequences. We look forward to hearing from stakeholders on this subject. And... Uh, Boom. We, uh, on the subject, uh, on this issue, as we work together to ensure that construction workers of all genders and sizes are fit properly with safety gear. Submit comments and hearing requests online, and they're looking for comments and stuff by September 18th. I have to applaud uh, a recent uh, podcast that's gone offline, uh, Safety Justice League. This is one of their big things uh, here. And um, maybe they got the ear of somebody in OSHA. Uh, that's why I mentioned Abby Ferry. She was very excited on the, about this online uh, today. Uh, one of the friends of the program, and I think we could call her a friend of the program, 
uh, on this. We've had some interaction with her and uh, she's no, she was pushing this majorly. Uh, I know. Uh, let me go back. Uh, have been long. Uh, the failure of standardized PPE to protect physically smaller construction workers, as well as problems with access to properly fitting PPE, have long been safety and health concerns in the construction industry, especially for women. Now, I'm going to. Uh, I'll I'll go out on a limb here. I'm going to piss some people off here, uh, but I really don't care because it's no, my truth. Uh, women are different than men. Usually, uh, in their body types, body styles, fitness of clothing, things of that nature. And I know a lot of women uh, for years, up until about six or seven years ago, were complaining, uh, especially in the oil industry, of uh, unisexual uh, clothing, right? Uh, where men in clothing, and we'll just say a lot of women did not feel comfortable in it. It was the wrong size, ill-fitting. Uh, some women, uh, again, it was uh, not a female cut, as uh, my, my wife would call it, and not very flattering. And a lot of women did not feel comfortable in it, wearing stuff like that. So there were a lot of companies out there, especially in the oil industry, coming out with female uh, clothing. And I tell you what, I, I was in the same in the uh, similar boat because I'm huge, right? Uh, back in the day, I was a lot bigger. And getting the right size PPE, especially protective suits, gloves, uh, uh, respirators, it was a little bit of a nightmare there for uh, everybody uh, there. And uh, the other thing is this. A lot of times, and I've seen this in back rooms, I uh, said, so, well, if we have a woman coming on to the job, that means we have to have different uh, clothing. Therefore, we're not going to hire any women. I've seen that. Not recently, but I have seen that in my career. Uh, it's not right, uh, but it is out there. Uh, let me make sure I am broadcasting here on the streams. So. Yes, I am. Yes. All right. Now we're going to mosey on over. Let's see if we can do this. We did it successfully last night. Bear with me, everybody. I tell you what, let's go to our first commercial break while I get this set up. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, 
Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. And here's our nightly message for the people in behavior-based safety land. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Learning is vital. Learning is vital. And that is the lovely Mrs. Polzel there. It's a family affair, right? So uh, I'm sharing with you the OSHA uh, uh, Department of Labor uh, website here. Let's see if I can get that in a little bit bigger for you folks. And if you're looking, this is where we get the news releases every day that we double check every day. Uh, here we have U.S. Department of Labor finds Pennsylvania contractor failed to follow safety requirements after investigation of Lyman's fatal electrocution in Miami. A U.S. Department of Labor investigation into the electrocution of a 32-year-old worker in Miami found the Lyman's employer failed to make certain its crews working near overhead power lines followed required safety measures. An inspection into the January 2023 incident by the department's OSHA learned that a digger derrick truck used by employees of a certain company was parked beneath an energized overhead power line when the worker began operating the truck's room to unload a cross a metal cross beam. As they raised the boom, it contacted the 7,620-volt power line, sending electricity through the truck and into the surrounding ground. The lineman jumped from the truck and fa- uh, suffered a fatal electrocution. So there were several citations uh, here. Probably if he stayed on the truck, he might not. He might have not uh, received a fatal electrocution. I don't know how the truck was set up uh, or anything on that, but often that's what you hear. Don't jump from the truck. Here is the citation. Again, this is all public record here, folks. I'm not doing anything. I do not mention the uh, name of the company, but and make show up on the screen from the press release. Citation one item one, a type of violation, serious. Mechanical equipment was operated so that the minimum approach distances established were not maintained from exposed energized lines and equipment. Citation was 15,625. The next one, type of citation, serious. Yeah, man died, I guess it is serious. The employer did not ensure that a designated employee other than the equipment operator observed the approach distance to expose lines and equipment and provide timely warnings before the minimum approach distance required by paragraph D1 of this section was reached. That was $12,656. Citation 13A, another $12,656. And this is in... Uh, 1926.959 again. The employer did not ensure that employee was protected from hazards that could arise from mechanical equipment contact with energized lines or equipment by using the best available ground to minimize the time the lines or electric equipment remained energized. Uh, 
And for the last one, it was a zero, which was a de minimis one. And I was just having a conversation with someone, well, actually a group of people, uh, this week on this, two groups of people. Uh, and this is a 29 CFR 1926-20-B2. The employer did not initiate and maintain programs which provided for frequent and regular inspections of the job site, uh, materials and equipment uh, to be made by a competent person. So uh, employees were exposed to an electrocution hazard and working in close proximity to a 7620 volt overhead power line, and the employer had not performed an inspection of the site and equipment to ensure employees did not approach those lines and all equipment was properly grounded before commencing work. So I am going to download this one because I tell you what, uh, since I was just had to write a letter on this one, I'm going to send this one out. And we're going to get to the PPE stuff here. Uh, there's another press release. Ames Community College uh, uh, is in alliance with the uh, uh, Department of Labor to promote safety health, and health among uh, for agricultural workers. We just read the next one. Department of Labor announces proposed rule to clarify PPE standard. So let's talk. What is that PPE standard? So it refers to this, 1926.28. The employer, This is what the current standard is. The employer is responsible for requiring the wearing of appropriate PPE in all operations where there is an exposure to hazardous conditions or where this part indicates the need for using such equipment. Regulations governing the use, selection, and maintenance of PPE and life-saving equipment are described under subpart E of this. So let's see what the letter of interpretation might be. There's apparently a letter six letters of interpretation. Determining the need for a hard hat and eye protection on construction sites. Whether the requirement to use hard hats and or eye protection depends on a worker's distance from the job site. Dear Mr. So-and-so, in response to this, we have paraphrased your questions as follows. We are construction employees engaged in pipeline removal project. During the course of this work, we use various trenching equipment such as backhoes. While in the immediate vicinity of equipment, we use hard hats, steel toe shoes, and eye protection pursuant to 1926 100A. We'll talk about them in a minute. Do the construction standards contain criteria based upon distance from operating equipment that limit the applicability of this requirement? The answer is in 29 C uh, uh, CFR Part 1926, Subpart E. Protective equipment, including PPE for eyes, face, and head, and extremities, protective shields and barriers, shall be provided, used, and maintained wherever it is necessary uh, for uh, by reason of the hazards of processes of the environment, chemical hazards, radiological, going on and on, and other stuff that could uh, is capable of causing an injury uh, or impair any part of the body through physical contact. Uh, so what they go on to say is, is that 
as long as you're protected when there is a possibility, possible head danger. Right? The court continued in Donovan versus Adams Steel Erection Incorporated. The legislative history makes it clear that death and disability prevention is the primary intent of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. So when you're writing your letters, right, you want to bookmark this one. This is over again in uh, Letter of Interpretation on 1926.28a. You want to re reference this, Donovan versus Adam Steele erection, because it says that the legislative history makes clear that death and disability prevention is the primary intent of the act. The act is remedial in nature and does not wait for an employee to die or become injured. It authorizes the promulgation of health and safety standards in the hope that these will act to prevent deaths or injuries from ever occurring. Imminent risk of injury or death to employees should not be required before the secretary com can compel protective action. The court concluded that accessibility to a zone of danger is sufficient to sustain a citation for failure to use a protective helmet. All right, so what's my point here? How many times do you go on to a job site and you have an issue and they say, well, there's no OSHA uh, regulation you could quote, and then we'd get into the general duty clause. There's, I've never heard of that. Uh, you can't prove it, this, that, and the other thing. Well, you send over an email quoting this legal case, Donovan versus Adam Steele erection. And there it is. We're supposed to be preventing injuries. Now, mm, hold on. I had a Facebook feed here. Mm hmm. Stop sharing. I don't want everybody to see my Facebook account here. I'm going to play you something that was sent to me via Facebook. And I posted it on the uh, Facebook account. Uh, give me a second to get in here. And... Where is it on here? Hold on. Bear with me, folks. I know uh, uh, on this thing. All right. I'm going to turn up the volume here. By the way, not safe for work. And I'm going to put the microphone right next to the speaker. And I'm getting feedback. Why am I getting feedback? Hold on one second. Okay, you may be able to hear this now.
That was reportedly from a safety professional who shut down the job, and the foreman didn't like it very much. Have you heard that on the job site? Have you gotten answers like that, uh, responses like that? I have. Uh, not too long ago, too, my client threw the guy off the job uh, because of an unsafe condition that we were trying to uh, remediate. And thankfully, it wasn't directed towards me because he, they know what they're going to get. Directed towards somebody else, and it was specifically on PPE usage and fall protection. So when I went and I wrote a letter about this, and it was specifically with roofers uh, not having to wear fall protection, they said that they do not have to wear fall protection because they're roofers, and they had a letter of interpretation. Uh, we actually did something called uh, read the interpretation letter, and it wasn't what they said. So they got. Uh, Thrown off the project for lying, number one. Uh, I don't like to see people get thrown off the project. Uh, but uh, the second one was that he had a meltdown like that in front of uh, the uh, site manager. Right? So, not something you want to do. Now, let's, we're going to go back to share screen. Head protection. So you would think that with a basic piece of equipment like head protection, you would have uh, extensive OSHA regulations on it. It's actually really simple. They de de they uh, punt over to ANSI, American National Standards Institute. So employees working in areas where there is a possible danger of head injury from impact or from falling or flying objects or from electrical shocks and burns uh, shall be protected by protective helmets. Now we can get into types of protective helmets and things of that nature, but we're doing like a standards type thing. Criteria for head protection. The employer must provide each employee with head protection that meets the specifications contained in any of the following consensus, consensus standards, and it looks, lists a whole bunch of ANSI standards. This is basically ANSI Z89.1. Uh, and it mentions it. The employer must ensure that head protection provided for each employee exposed to high-voltage electric shock and burns also meets the specifications contained in 9.7 uh, electrical insulation of any of the consensus standards identified previously. And OSHA will deem any head protection device that the employer demonstrates is at least effective as head protection device Constructed in accordance with one of the consensus standards identified, and uh, blah, 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 shall be in compliance with the requirements of this section. So let's click on letter of interpretation here. What do we have? Standard interpretations for head protection. 
Clarification, this is on the latest one, on when hard hats can be worn with Bill facing to the rear. And uh, yes, they can be, uh, bottom line, yes, they can be worn uh, right to the rear. Uh, hard hats must meet the specifications of ANSI. And although the ANSI Z and blah, 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 testing, Bill for the OSHA issued a letter of interpretation in 1992 allowing the use of hard hats worn with the bill to the rear so long as the manufacturer certifies that their t tests, they meet all the OSHA requirements. Makes sense. Uh, and they have put in, when we talk about hard hats, uh, like in depth, not the standard, we'll be going into more in depth things with those, right? Uh, later on, I'll, we'll have pictures of those. Here we have PPE for hearing protection. So for in the 1910 standard, general industry, it's quite extensive what the requirements are for hearing protection. They require a hearing conservation program and everything else. Here we have in construction. My opinion, construction should be in alignment with general industry. Wherever it is not feasible to reduce noise levels or duration of exposures, uh, to those uh, specified in permissible noise exposures, ear protective devices shall be provided and used. So uh, ear protective devices inserted into the ear shall be fitted and determined individually by competent persons. There's that competent person standard. So let's go back here, OSHA.gov. All right, let's look at that 1952 standard. I know this makes for interesting radio, but we're going to read it out for you. Construction and 1952 standard. Occupational noise control. A little bit more extensive. So it uh, refers over to a D. And it tells you how to do a noise survey here, basic one. Uh, here we go. D, uh, two permissible noise exposures. So for an eight-hour duration, 90 decibels. And then going out, uh, your uh, that changes, right? So a quarter hour or less, uh, you have a PEL of 115 decibels, and they have calculations here and everything else, so you can look it up. But again, still not as extensive as the general industry standard. Let's mosey on over to general industry here. Occupational noise control, they have up to appendix I, and they have this, and it goes on and on and on with baseline speed, manual audiogram, and going on and on and on with that. So baby steps, Osha, right? Baby steps. So you got the fit you're working on, right? Now let's work on the hearing protection. All right? How many uh, old construction workers there are without... Uh, Uh, hearing aids. This is the one that they've been citing a lot on is the eye and face protection, 1926-102. So uh, here we have eye and face PPE. All right, well, you, basically, I'll, I'll summarize. If you have flying particles, molten metal, metal, liquid chemicals, acids, or caustic liquids, chemical gases or vapors or potentially injurious light radiation, you have to have appropriate eye and face protection. Uh, 
eye protection has to have detached uh, side uh, protectors, right? Uh, employer shall ensure that each employee who wears prescription lenses while engaged in operations that involve eye hazards wears eye protection that incorporates a prescription into its design or wears eye protection that can be worn over prescription glasses without disturbing the proper position of prescription glasses or the protective lenses. And it goes on with some manufacturing issues, right? And here you go. They shall be reasonably comfortable when worn under designated conditions. They shall fit snugly and shall not unduly interfere with the movements of the wearer. They shall be durable. They shall be capable of being disinfected. They shall be easily cleanable. And it mentions the ANSI-Z 87.1 standard. Right, they mentioned the old standard here, 2010, it's been updated, and then they go through on the types of shading versus the types of uh, exposures you'll get from uh, welding light, basic ultraviolet light with this. And the shades go from uh, 2 up to 10 to 14. And I, if memory serves me right, for a, on a solar eclipse, it's 17. Uh, but you're not going to get anything other than a uh, face shield of some sort when you have a shading over five, the last I checked. Now, let me stop sharing for a minute, and we're going to go to commercial break because there's something neat I want to show you here. Because people think I'm nuts when I mention it, and I'm not nuts. Weird, maybe, sometimes, but not nuts. In a world where danger lurks in every corner, one man stands as a beacon of hope. Jim Polzel, a veteran safety expert with over three decades of experience, now bringing his knowledge to you with Safety Wars. Engaging, informative, and always relevant, that's Safety Wars. Join the Safety Revolution with Safety Wars, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Okay, so I got it. Let me share the screen here because I got one of these here uh, recently. And yes, I am not crazy. And let's make sure this is uh, showing here. Yes, it is. So this is from 3M. Hopefully they're not going to uh, get me for a copyright thing here. I don't see any copyright notice on here. All right. So six steps, steps to confirm an appropriate fit. 3M eyewear fit system. This is not an endorsement. I'm just saying, putting it out there, that there is an eyewear fit system. And my understanding is that up in here it is, up in Canada, uh, they require them. I'm sure some other uh, places have it also. Uh, again, fit testing for eyewear. Why? There's a lot of gaps and everything else uh, that people have on the uh, prescription eyewear. Uh, oh, and there it doesn't fit properly. And if it doesn't fit properly, people are less likely to wear it. And if, when they do do it, they're going to be uh, less uh, protected. And here we have, so you're going to say, well, what about respirators? Respirators have to fit properly also. 
there in 1910-134, there's an extensive fit testing thing. Uh, now, if we're going to go and uh, here with quantitative, So, uh, quantitative fit test protocols. The employer shall ensure that persons administrating quantitative fit tests going on and on and on. Right? Where am I looking for? I'm looking for here, 500. Bear with me. Here you go. A minimum fit factor, fit Factor pass level 100 is necessary for a half-mask respirator, and a minimum fit factor of at least 500 is required for a full-face respirator. The entire screening and testing procedure shall be explained to the test subject prior to the whole thing. So I'm going to be pointing out here to you that you have to have a fit factor on here. Now, typically, if uh, let's say that you're going to use a full face respirator, and you're doing a qualitative, meaning you're going to give a challenge agent. Don't recommend it. You have to treat that as a half-face respirator with, uh, for, as far as a PPE protection, uh, which is uh, a, a protection factor of 10. It's the same as wearing a half-face respirator. That is why you get the quantitative fit tests all the time. Can you do it? Yeah. You're taking, yeah, you can do, you can do a lot of stuff that isn't right. But no, I always recommend the quantitative fit tests on both of them uh, with this uh, because they're not going to lie so much on that when you're doing fit testing. Now, the question always comes out who pays for PPE, right? I'm going to read you uh, the uh, OSHA policy here. We have here, right out of the OSHA outreach training handouts for our video people, we're going to go right to this. And the occupation, this is right out of the OSHA outreach training uh, stuff. This is dated uh, April 2017. The Occupational Safety Administration requires employees to protect you from workplace hazards that can cause injury or illness. Controlling a hazard at its source is the best way to protect workers. However, when engineering, work practice, and administrative controls are not feasible or do not provide sufficient protection, employers must provide PPE to you and ensure its use. PPE is equipment worn to minimize, blah, blah, blah. And here you go. Uh, going on here. On May 15, 2008, a new OSHA rule about employer payment for PPE went into effect. So this is... 15 years now, and companies are still uh, saying that they don't have to buy PPE. OSHA now requires employers to pay for personal protective equipment uh, used to comply with OSHA standards. The final rule does not create new requirements regarding what PPE. The standards, and the standard makes clear that the employers cannot require Workers to provide their own PPE, and the workers' use of PPE they already own must be completely voluntary. Even when a worker provides his or own, her own PPE, the employer must ensure that the equipment is adequate to protect the worker from hazards in the workplace. 
and it gives you a whole bunch of stuff. Now, there are six instances where employers are not required to buy PPE. Not, and this is it. Non-specialty safety-toed protective footwear, including steel-toed shoes or boots, and non-specialty prescription safety eyewear, provided that the employee, employer permits such items to be worn off the job. OSHA bases its decision on the fact that this type of equipment is very personal and is often used outside the workplace and that it is taken by workers. We're getting a message here. Blow it up. Blow it up. Okay, I, I did. Zoomed in here. OSHA bases its decision on the fact that this type of, of equipment is very personal and is often used outside the workplace and that it is taken by workers from job site to job site and employer to employer. Everyday clothing, such as long sleeve shirts, long pants, street shoes, and normal work boots, ordinary clothing, skin creams, or other uh, items used solely for protection from weather, such as winter coats, jackets, gloves, parkas, rubber boots, hats, raincoats, and ordinary sunglasses and sunscreen. Items such as hairnets and gloves worn by food workers for consumer safety. So not required for this. Lifting belts because their value in protecting the back is questionable. And when the employee has lost or intentionally damaged the PPE and it must be replaced. Now I'm going to say this. Let me further complicate things. This handout here from OSHA may be circumvented by either company policy, collective bargaining agreements, or state law on that. So uh, something to think about on that. Uh, this came up today on the project that I was uh, working on. Uh, and I said, well, look, this is what the OSHA regulation is. We're going by OSHA regulation. And if you have a problem, you need to talk to your employer. They don't want to supply you with PPE. Uh, not too much I can do about it. So uh, now let's say that you're an employer Right. And I wasn't going to do this, but we, yeah, you know, let's, I'll set this up again. Hold. In an unpredictable world, one voice rises above the chaos. Meet Jim Polzel, a seasoned safety expert who's navigated through some of the most dangerous scenarios from anthrax, explosive cleanups, disasters, and numerous environmental cleanups, and lived to tell the tale. Now he's bringing his wealth of knowledge, insights, and experiences to you through Safety Wars. From workplace hazards to the hidden dangers in your own home, Jim covers it all. With his engaging storytelling and expert analysis, Safety Wars isn't just a podcast. It's your guide to a safer world. Join Jim Polzel and become part of the Safety Wars revolution. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Safety Wars. Your safety is our mission. OSHA, a number of years ago, came out with an Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA Safety Pays Program. The Safety Pays tool reduces a report on comparing, and they changed this from the last time I've been here. Uh, pays produces a report comparing injury or illness rates of your business to your competitors. The tool will be most useful if you have a recent record of your business safety performance and your annual illness and injury case number. All right. And mm 
And it was uh, actually this is not what I am looking for. Sorry, I should have had it up and running, but this is still uh, uh, a thing. Let me see here: injuries versus costs. That's what I was looking for. They took it down. That's a that's a shame. So uh, let me stop sharing. Let me Google this again. And the former employer, OSHA. So here we go. Here, I can't, cannot share this here because it's a copyrighted thing here. An eye injury is actually expensive for the employer. This is what year is it? 2022. Using the OSHA safety phase calculator, a vision loss injury has a direct cost of $76,000. If the eye injury requires surgical removal, the cost exceeds $100,000 just for a simple removal of a foreign embedded object that's $22,000. All right, so you have indirect costs that are three to five times the direct medical costs. So uh, let's try uh, to do this again. Uh, uh, safety phase calculator. Calculator OSHA. Here it is. Individual estimator. Let's do a share again. Sorry, guys. This is all authentic here. All done in real time. Right? right? When you're paying me, I have everything all organized here. So uh, let's do this. So here we have the safety pays calculator. All right, so let's begin. If you've never seen this before, this is, I love this when this came out because there's so many arguments, All right? So here we have injury type. Select an injury type. Let's see. Uh... Do, do, do vision loss, right? Let's calculate default using 3%. So vision loss, the direct cost is $75,000. The indirect cost is $83,000, meaning you have to train people and do other things. And the total cost is $159,358. At a 3% profit margin to cover the indirect costs and the total costs, you're going to have to generate $5.3 million. Right? And we're talking, again, I get it. Jimmy, hey, worry about it. We have workers' comp insurance. Okay, great. Money, your rates are going to go up. So this is, uh, this is what, what it comes down to here. Let's say that. You're working for a self-insured employer. Ask how much it's going to cost. Made things so much easier. Uh, now, for an eye injury, how much is a pair of safety glasses? Not much. It ain't. Uh, it ain't 
$150,000. I can tell you that much. That's revision loss. And they have other things also uh, here. Uh, so, for example, let's go for another one. Uh, heat prostration. That's in the news. How much one of those cost? Calculate. Oh, those are even more uh, on a certain level. Uh, no, they're not they're half the price. $37,000. So an indirect cost, $80,000. So how much does it cost for a first aid CPR thing and uh, some sports drink and water? It ain't freaking $79,000. I can tell you that much. Again, uh, there are a lot of companies that don't want to go outside of, uh, that don't put things in workers' comp. They want to handle it on the side, down the down low. And that's how much the costs are. Often when you show them these costs, then they say, well, you know what? We're going to go through workers' comp because it's cheaper. Yeah, well, maybe you should go through workers' comp because that's what you're legally required to do. Where else are we going to go here? What else in the safety world? Let's see here. This is a bizarre story here. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is from the Daily Mail. And they're talking about... <laughs> in space. Scientists call for urgent research on the consequences of joining the Carmen Line Club as they claim... We'll have imaging space tourists within 10 years. NASA, NASA categorically insists that no, uh, no humans have ever, you know, uh, yeah, in space. But with the proliferation of space tourism, this could be set to change. I tell you what, uh, they want to find this out. I, I think they... they uh, Common sense tells me that they likely did it with animals here uh, with this. Uh, but I mean, you know, before I get thrown off the air, I'm, not, I'm just going to drop this story because I, I have a lot of questions on this. <laughs> Hold on. That. And that's asking me for a membership for that. No, nothing. No, thanks. I'm members of everything. Britain's most prestigious bank canceled Nigel Farage. Again, you say something that people don't like, you canceled, right? This is what part of the safety war is. Happens in the place with injuries, happens in elsewhere. He, uh, he always said, this is from Politico, he always said the UK establishment was to him now, Nigel Farage has the receipts. Most prominent record has produced a 12,000 word document from the bank, allegedly, which, according to Farage, revealed truth behind the forced closure of his account there. The former Brexit party leader has been embroiled in a row with institutions, so 
with the institution, so assumed it has served successive generations of the royal family after Coates canceled his account earlier this month. Farage said at the time that no reason was given, but subsequent media reports, including on the BBC, cited a minimum wealth threshold that Farage never uh, no longer meets. Uh, going on, a briefing... Now, an internal document from Coates obtained by Farage through a subject access request he made to the bank and published in full by the Daily Mail newspaper shows it wanted to drop as a client long before and used his controversial public profile as justification. A briefing presented to the bank's reputational risk committee said, and by the way, we have them in this country too, said Farage, Farage is concerned considered by many to be a disingenuous grifter, xenophobic, chauvinistic, and racist views, suggests it could dump him once he paid off his mortgage and dropped below its wealth criteria. And it goes on and on and on. This is kind of world we want to live in, folks? Whether you agree or disagree with them, is this the kind of world you want to live in? Uh, I, I know uh, you disagree with someone, now you... now that, Tell you what, banking is not like uh, a lot of the other things out there. No, you can go to a d different bank. Well, guess what if the banks are in collusion? Well, these big companies are never in collusion, Jim. Uh, well, what about uh, some of the influencers on social media that were dropped by all social media platforms in the same day? Not conspiratorial there. That's a fact. Now, my opinion is if the bank doesn't want to do business with me, screw it. There are other banks out there. However, this is what, uh, you know, this is what it is. Do we want banks, when, especially if they're uh, state-owned banks? We only have one that I know of in this country, in South Dakota, that you say we're not doing business for you because we disagree with you? I don't know. Something is amiss here. U.S. Marine who exposed U.S. UFO encounter claims he's being threatened by men in black, MIBs. Uh, does that mean Will Smith and uh, uh, who's the other guy? I forget his name. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, is it? I, I forget. Ah, now I got to do this. Again. Tommy Lee Jones, isn't it? Men in black. IMDB, right? And it is, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. I got it right. And Will Smith. By the way, I think that uh, my personal opinion, Will Smith, probably the greatest actor of his generation, if not the greatest, one of the greatest, all right, uh, actor of my generation. A former U.S. Marine who sensationally claimed that his unit stumbled, stumbled across a secret military rendezvous with an alien spacecraft says he has been threatened. He even fears that one day he could be killed by a sinister forces that are trying to cover up the Pentagon's UFO secrets. Uh, you, Michael Herrera was part of the U.S. Navy humanitarian mission during the 2009 Sumatra earthquake. After he was ambushed by a paramilitary unit, he was searched and had his camera confiscated by mysterious soldiers in black. He's warned several times not to tell anybody about the strange flying saucer-type craft he has seen in the Sumatran jungle. 
After remaining silent on a strange encounter for many years, he told his story last month at a briefing given by Dr. Stephen Greer's Disclosure Project. He has now told a podcaster that the intimidation from shadowy forces within the U.S. military has increased. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. Again, disclosure is coming out slowly but surely. We discuss it here on this program. And how much time do we have left here? Okay, two minutes. So that's what I got tonight. I will attempt to be on the air tomorrow night, making my minimum threshold of three programs a week that I've given myself. Uh, Glad you can make it. And I will see you tomorrow. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thank you.